Today we finish our series of messages on the Hebrew names of God. I've so much enjoyed walking through these, uh, the study uh, with you. We have studied various names as God has uh, revealed himself in Scripture. He's revealed himself through these various Hebrew names. I was sitting uh, yesterday watching uh, my son playing a tennis match, and somebody just alluded to God as the man upstairs. And it was hard for me. It really was difficult for me just to sit there and not turn around and say, oh, but he has a name. And that's not one of them, man upstairs. God has given us a multitude of Hebrew names whereby uh, he has revealed his character, his essence, his nature, his attributes, his, his characteristics as to who he is as a person. And God is spirit and those that worship him. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And God, today we're so grateful to be able to come as a as a body of believers gathered under the name of Jesus Christ and be able to study God's Word and to study uh, God's name. Today's name is the name Jehovah Sidkenu. It is found in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 8 is our text today. And before we read Jeremiah 23, I want to take just a moment and just kind of bring you up to speed as to what is going on in the 6th century B.C. because that is the milieu, that is the epoch of time that Jeremiah ministered in. He is known as a major prophet. You say, well, yeah, Brother Daniel, what's the difference between a major prophet and, say, Daniel, a minor prophet? And it's simply the corpus of the body of material. And Jeremiah has many chapters. Daniel only has a few chapters. And so he is referred to, Jeremiah is, as a major prophet. He has this lengthy message that God gives him to the nation of Israel or Judah during the 6th century. He ministers from about 627 B.C. to 580 B.C. He serves in a time where Israel has turned their backs on God. And God has threatened them. He says, I am a God of mercy and a God of compassion, but I'm also a God, a just God, a righteous God, a God of wrath. And if you do not turn back to me, if you do not come and serve me and live for me like I've commanded you, then there's going to be retribution. There's going to be punishment and difficulty. And sure enough, scholars call this the 70-year Babylonian captivity. And Jeremiah prophesies of this time. He says, there's coming a time of calamity. There's coming a time of difficulty. Oh, Israel, turn back to God. Come back to me, God says, and serve me. And one writer puts it this way as he describes Jeremiah's life and ministry. He calls him a heartbroken prophet with a heartbreaking message. Jeremiah labors more than 40 years proclaiming a message of doom to the stiff-necked people of Judah. Despised and persecuted by his countrymen, Jeremiah bathes his harsh prophecies in tears of compassion. End of quote. And many people refer to Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. And he does. He, he bathes his polemics. His polemic means his harsh words of denunciation, his words of, of pain, his words of warning. He's saying, oh, Israel, come back to God. I, I'm telling you, he is a just God, a righteous God, and he will in no way acquit the wicked, so come back to me. Come back to God. And yet it's like it just fell on deaf ears. And they continued on in their apostasy and their spiritual prostitution. They rebelled against God. And then God, he punishes. So I want you to read this text with me. And I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. This is one theologically pregnant 
passage of Scripture. I mean, it is bursting forth with truth, with doctrine, with prophecy. And, and today, I, I'm just going to unpack it the, the best way I know how. And that's just to walk through verse by verse. Because within this context of God revealing himself and calling Israel back to himself, it is within this context that God reveals himself as Sidkenu, as righteous one, just one, holy one. And so let me read it to you in Jeremiah 23. It begins with a word of woe. He says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Now, the words Lord God, that would be Yahweh, Jehovah, uh, Elohim. We've studied those names. The covenant-keeping God of Israel. And Elohim is um, the, the wonderful, majestic creator God. Thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away. And you have not, the Hebrew word is pakad, you have not attended to them, you have not visited them. Behold, I will visit you, I will pakad you to do evil to you for your doings, to do you for evil of your doings, says the Lord. But, I love verse 3, and oftentimes God couches these words of denunciation, these words of rebuke, with these words of grace and words of compassion. And, and right here lodged within this denunciation, there's this word, this call to, to God's people. He says, but I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. Now, now notice the juxtaposition of the shepherds in verse 4 with those in verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, they are ungodly, greedy, covetous shepherds, but in verse 4, they are these these godly, righteous men who lead the people of God. He says, but I'm going to set up shepherds over them who will feed them. They shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, here's verses 5 and 6, these awesome words of prophecy. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and, and here's our key word, righteousness, Sidkenu, in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is his name. This is his name by which he will be called. And here it is. It's all caps the Hebrew is Jehovah Sidkenu, and the words are the Lord Jehovah Sidkenu, who is our righteousness. Therefore, verse 7, behold, the days are coming. Now remember, Jeremiah is a prophet. He is prophesying days that are yet to be, days that are coming. Says the Lord that they shall no longer say, as the Lord who lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but they will say, as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Now, the word sedek, righteousness, literally means that which is altogether just. Some other definitions would include right, righteous, righteousness, just, justify, and to declare as innocent. I'm not trying to be cute or, or mean and saying what I'm about to say, but 
Buddha literally said, I am trying to find myself. I'm trying to understand who I am and, and my own teachings. And Muhammad was anything but a righteous individual with multiple wives and multiple murders on his hands. Uh, Muhammad could never say, I am Sadek, I am the righteous one. But I'm telling you guys, Jesus Christ is the righteous God. When you study his life and you study the prophecies about his life from the line of David, the branch, the king, more about that in a moment, Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. And when you analyze his life, and I tell you guys, if you're here today and you're looking for a savior, and you're looking for someone who might rescue you and redeem you and purchase your soul and, and give you joy and victory over sin, then I submit to you for your consideration and no other, Jesus Christ the righteous one. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the what? Anybody? The righteousness of God uh, in him. You say, oh, Brother Danny, is this going to be another one of those sermons, you know, one of those sermons about God and his nature and his ontology of who he is and his essence, his characteristics, his attributes? And it is. It's a message. It's a very theological, Christological message. And I want to challenge you today to worship God, you know, with your minds, not just with your volition, with your will, and with your euphoria, and with your spirit, and with your jubilation, and your exaltation, and that's all good. But I want us to think deeply today, cogently, think succinctly, think linearly today. Think about God, about who he is and what his nature is, and what does it mean to say God is righteous, and what kind of implication does that put on us? If he is righteous and he is holy, then he calls you and he calls me to a life of righteousness, to a life of purity and holiness, a life of difference. And so today, as we walk through this passage of Scripture, it is intense. I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys, I love this study. And I was typing this manuscript. I was in Gulf Shores, Alabama. I know, woe is me, it's rough. And I was in a library in Orange Beach. And I was overlooking one of the bays there in South Alabama. And I'm just typing away and I'm coughing, hacking away. You know, I don't feel good. But I'm, I'm just enjoying, you know, just the, seeing God's beauty. And I'm, I'm typing the words of the sermon and talking about God's righteousness and holiness. And, and guys, I, I just I was about to explode. You know, you know, you've ever got that way? You got so full of God and so full of his word. You just, you just had to go tell us. So I just had to go witness to the librarian. Amen. I did. I said, I go, sir, I tell you, I'm just studying God's word. It's so awesome. He said, sir, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't say that. But his eyes got real big. He listened to me. Listen, listen, when you study God's word and you understand who he is and how awesome he is, it's hard to keep you quiet. You just, you, it just bubbles up in you and you have to share. It begins, though, with a negative connotation. It begins, number one, with a word of rebuke to the unrighteous people, the unrighteous shepherds. And remember, Jeremiah lived among these people. It begins with the Hebrew word howie, H-O-W-Y, and it's translated woe. Another good translation is alas, or wait a minute. It literally means to express profound grief. You say, well, what is the context? What who are these shepherds that God is so concerned about? Why is God so upset with these shepherds? Well, here's who they were. They were the religious and political leaders of Israel. They were the kings, the princes. They were the prophets and the priests. You see, in Romans 13, God has ordained government leadership. And God expects righteous equity. God expects fairness and judgment 
from politics, from political leaders, and from people of the cloth, re religious leaders. But just the antithesis was going on in Jeremiah's day. Listen to this. From the king to the priest, they were given over to covetousness and to greediness, and they, they were not looking out for the welfare of their people, of their constituents. No, they were more concerned with their own avarice, with their own covetous hearts, and with not doing what God would have them to do, but what they wanted to do. So wait a minute, brother, that sounds like today, and it does. And the same word of denunciation and the same word of rebuke in the 6th century is apropos and applies to us today. Listen, if you're listening to me today and you're in politics, if you're watching on television and you're a politician, or if you're a king, a prince, or royalty, or if you're a man of the cloth, a prophet, priest, a man of God, then God has high expectations for you. He has established you. He has given you that right to give leadership, and He expects you to be righteous and holy and pure. And I'm telling you, they were not in the 6th century. In fact, listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 6, 13 and 14. He says, Because from the least of them, even to the greatest, everyone is given over to covetousness. From prophet, here the leadership, prophet even to priest, everybody deals, notice this, falsely. And they have also healed the herd of my people, slightly saying, Peace, oh, shalom, shalom. And there is no shalom. And so in verse 2 it says, Therefore the Lord God says, You have scattered my flock, you've driven them away, and so now is a day of retribution. Today I will scatter you, and I will attend to you for the evil of your doings. They are the evil ones, and so God is going to visit them, God is going to punish them for uh, their sinfulness. And guys, I'm telling you... We may change, and our thoughts about God's Word may change, and we may not take it near as seriously, but God does. He continues to hold men of the cloth and men uh, that He has established in politics, He continues to hold them to a high level. You remember, it's been a few years ago, but there was a politician out of, uh, out of California, and his name was Gary Condit. You remember the story, Gary Condit? And he had an affair. He's 50-something years of age, has an affair with a 23-year-old, two years younger than his daughter, Mercy. Has an affair with this lady, tries to cover it up. Well, she goes missing. Y'all remember this? And, and, and they can't find Chandra Levy, and she's dead. And uh, her family is suing him, saying he knew about this, and he, he's culpable, he's guilty. And so it was just a mess. And he served in the Congress. He served from 1989 to 2003. He had an illustrious career as a politician in his mid-50s at the zenith of his career, and yet he gets involved in this kind of lifestyle. And so uh, when I was writing the sermon, I was thinking about him for some reason, and then I, I began to research, well, where is he today? Where is he today? And here's what I found. He's been in one lawsuit after another after another. He entered into business in Arizona, owning an ice cream country of, uh, company of all things, and uh, it's gone bankrupt, hasn't done well. And I, and I look at his life and I think, it's so sad. You know, God has established this man to give leadership and to give justice and righteousness, and he abused it. On one hand, he had all this pro-family policy and politics, but it was betrayed by his adulterous life. But here's the reason I share his story. Here's what the newspaper reporter said, or the television reporter said, and this is what broke my heart. Here's what he said. Well... We never would have even heard of Gary Condit had Chandra Levy not gone missing because everybody knows that in Washington, 
Everybody does what Gary Condit did. Think think about it for just a moment. Is that right? Everybody has a mistress in Congress. Everybody cheats on their family, and and, and they don't hold the standards of of righteousness and and purity. And and you say, well, Brother Danny, I'm sorry to say, Brother, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. I just don't believe that. I just refuse to believe that. Maybe I'm just naive, but I don't want to believe that people here in Austin that are in positions of prominence and positions of leadership and people in Washington, D.C., that they all have a mistress and they all have somebody on the side. I'll tell you, if that's the case, then God have mercy on them because God holds them accountable for righteous living and leading the people that are under their jurisdiction. I'm, I know I sound antiquated, and I sound like an old dinosaur barking in the wind, but I want to tell you something. God, I don't know if dinosaurs barked back then, but anyhow, you get in the picture. <laughs> God holds them accountable. And he says, woe to you, and he rebukes them for their unrighteousness. Listen to these words. Proverbs 14, 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, some of you that doubt that God has established politicians, you need to read the book of Proverbs. It says in 16:10, divination. Divination is on the lips of the king. He has to speak for God. His mouth must not transgress in judgment. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness. Are we reading the same text here? It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established by righteousness. And so Jeremiah, he gives a word of denunciation. He gives a a polemical word, and that is a word of harshness. He denunciates them. He he rebukes them. He says, woe to you shepherds, you, you politicians and you preachers alike. You should be men of of godliness. You should be men of righteousness. You should be true to your families, and you should be true to your constituents because you're not. I'm going to rebuke you, and judgment is coming. Well, glory to God. I appreciate people like Jeremiah who have some steel in their backbone who are not so politically correct and not so spiritually politically correct that they cannot stand up and call right, right, and wrong, wrong. Jeremiah, way to go. Number one is a rebuke of unrighteousness. Number two is a remnant of righteousness. Now, verse 3 is just awesome. And verses 3 and 4, it's just like God. I mean, he's pounding us, y'all. He's giving us these strong words, and then he just extends this olive branch of grace to us. And he speaks in verse 3 of him gathering the remnant of his flock out of all the countries that he has driven them. Verse 4 says, and they shall fear no more. And verse 7 says, and the Lord who lives, who brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Oh, but they'll say, the Lord who, of, who led the descendants, in verse 8, out of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I have driven them. Let me take just a moment and explain to you a little bit more about the background of what's going on in Jeremiah and some of the fulfilled and yet-to-be-fulfilled prophecy of Jeremiah chapter 23. All right, there's three things I want to share with you. Number one, partially this has been fulfilled through men like Zerubbabel. Everybody say that fast three times. Zerubbabel was a political leader of Israel in 537, 538 B.C., After the 70 years of Babylonian captivity, he was the first to lead the Israelites back to Jerusalem, okay? He would be exhibit A of a good shepherd that God promised that he would raise up. Number two would be a man by the name of Ezra. 
Ezra, there's a whole book in the Bible in the Old Testament named after Ezra, a good priest in 457 B.C. who went back to Israel and they reinstituted worship and started rebuilding the temple. And there's another guy by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah in 444 B.C. Nehemiah was a good governor, a good political leader, a good spiritual leader, a good shepherd who goes back and they rebuild. Some of you Bible scholars, what did Nehemiah rebuild? The wall, very good. And so I think this partially fulfills some of Jeremiah's prophecies from 627 to 580. He speaks about people like, who are to come, like Zerubbabel, like Ezra, and like Nehemiah. Number two, I believe this is fulfilled in night, all the way fast forward past the Messiah's day to our day in 1948 when God repositions Israel back in her land. He said he would do that. He would bring them from all the north country, from all the countries where they have been dispersed, and he reestablishes them back in their land, and we see that. But you cannot read these verses without thinking about a distant, more eschatological, apocalyptic kind of end times fulfilled prophecy. And really, guys, that's a lot of what's going on here. When you read these words, a king shall reign and prosper, this king will execute judgment and righteousness in all the earth, that has not happened. But it will happen. When Jesus Christ, the righteous king, comes again and Revelation 20 sets up his millennial reign, it's going to be awesome. I tried to warn you all a minute ago, this is theologically pregnant. There is a lot here. There's a lot of prophecy, fulfilled prophecy and unfulfilled prophecy. I shared with the early group and... They just kind of looked at me, some laughed, some clapped, and some were just kind of going, are you serious? But I am. I'm thinking about doing something here at Great Hills Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. And I'm, I'm thinking, if God, if he gives me the peace to do it, and it may take a few years before I ramp up to do it, and that's just to preach through the whole book of Revelation on Sunday morning. And, okay, God bless you. And you're talking about Prophecy. The seals and the, the trumpets and the bowls of wrath. And I remember when I preached through the book of Revelation in a church in Virginia, I had a guy come up to me literally on the streets of San Diego, look me in the eye, the pastor of the largest church in America, and he says, young man, you cannot do that. And there was like three people standing in a group, and he just singled me out. And he says, you cannot preach on the book of Revelation, for if you do, it will kill your church. Well, I just got to say, guys, he was wrong. Because we preached on Revelation, and God blessed, we grew in the midst of the bowls of judgment and fire, hell, fire, brimstone, amen. It's amazing. Man, when you preach God's Word, and you get passionate about it, you get excited about it, and you share it with a heart with, for your people, I'm telling you, God just has an affinity with that. And so, I'm about to get worked up into an excitement just already thinking about preaching Revelation 1-1 all the way to the end, and we'll go from about 1,500 to 500, Amen. I'm just kidding. I, ho I hope not. Let me go back to verse 3. Look, look, look at this word here. I, boy, I, you know, I, I was reading this and studying it, and in the midst of all the rebukes and the remnants and all that God's doing, look at verse 3. Would you look at the first four words? But I will gather. Man, I read that, and I just thought, that is so awesome. In the midst of the denunciations and the imprecations and God saying, stop, come back to me. And God just brings out this beautiful olive branch and he says, but listen to me. I desire to gather you. I, I desire to gather wayward Israel. 
God desires to gather his church today. God desires to gather. Listen, he desires to gather you today. Some of you today have drifted from him. You have turned your backs on him. You have walked now at a guilty distance with God. And, and right here at, at Great Hills Baptist Church, at the beginning of a new year and in the midst of this sermon on God's name, the Holy Spirit of God very succinctly, very cogently, he speaks to you in your spirit. He says, but I still love you. And I want you to come back to me. And I want you to enjoy the fellowship and the intimacy that we once shared. I remember Monday, September the 10th, 2001. The day before 9-11, I was in Cuba on a mission trip. And we'd flown back to America on Monday, the day before uh, 9-11. That stands out in my mind, but also, and it's, it's coming up, the 10-year anniversary is coming up this year. Isn't that amazing? But we were in Cuba, and we were on this mission trip, and it's happened to me in Cuba. This has happened to me in Vietnam. It's happened to me in China. I go to these communist countries and minister in the name of Jesus, and they assign a communist official who walks with you, and they analyze you, and they will rebuke you. I speak from experience. They will rebuke. It, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Now, if I have time sometime, I'll tell you about my, my confrontation in Vietnam. It's not too bad because we're all about the same height. Amen. In the middle of Vietnamese, we just look eyeball to eyeball. It's really cool. But anyhow, I'm in Cuba, and uh, we have this guy named Felix, and he is assigned to us. And Felix is a fascinating guy. I mean, he is taking his job from the communist government very seriously there in Cuba, and he is analyzing us and watching us everywhere we go. And we, toward the end of the trip, we come to Havana, and we're in the Methodist church there at Havana. And I'm telling you guys, God was all over this church. Uh, Bishop Ricardo was preaching God's word, and the music, Brother Terry, the, the band that was leading, they were all teenagers, all 20-something-year-olds. And it's, and it's energetic, it's, it's boisterous, and it's, it's kind of like what we were doing here a minute ago. But the difference between us and them is... Man, they got it going on. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're moving, gyrations, you know, and they're praising God. Well, Felix, the communist official, he goes, man, what is that? And so he gets off of the bus. He always went to the bus, never, never had anything to do with the religious stuff. He gets off the bus, and he comes in, just like 1 Corinthians 14 says, he is overwhelmed by the presence, the power, and the grace of God as he watched the people of God worship. Just a sidebar. I wonder if that would ever happen at Great Hills. I know it's the desire of our worship pastor, that we're so intimate with God, and, man, we're just so reverent, so worshipful, so excited to be in his presence. And, man, when a lost man or woman or teenager comes to Great Hills, they fall on their face and say, there is a God, and I see him in your worship. I long for that day. We are not there, by the way. <laughs> but I want us to get there. Well, Felix, he comes in, and he watches this. He runs back to the bus, and he starts to weep profusely. And... And, and somebody asked me, well, Brother Danny, have you seen Felix? He's back there weeping. Would you go talk to him? And I said, yeah, I went back to talk to him, and this is what he told me. He said, my mother led me to Christ when I was 14 years old. And I have been running from God for 20-plus years. And today, when I went in the house of God, it's like the Spirit of God just came over me, and he was pulling me back to himself. He said, when I was 14, right after I was converted, he said, there was a communist rally in Cuba. 
And the leadership challenged us and said, walk away from your Christianity and go back to your homes and rebuke your own parents. Rebuke them for any kind of spirituality. If they have any Christian paraphernalia in the home, you rip it down. He said, I did that. And I did that in the presence of my mom, and it, it just destroyed our relationship. And he's weeping. He's crying. He goes, do you think God would forgive me, and what do you think I need to do? And I said, well, first of all, God will forgive you. If you repent, you ask him to. And secondly, you need to make things right with your mom. I'm telling you guys, 5.30 the next morning, we were on that bus, and Felix was a new man. It was awesome. I mean, he had this quick in his step. He had this joy in his face and this song on his lips, and he was just smiling and exuberant. And I thought about this verse when God says, I am the God who gathers. I, I reach out to you. And I bring you back into intimacy with me. Would you take Jeremiah 23 for just a moment and pull it out of the eschaton? Pull it out of the millennial reign of Revelation 20? Pull it out of the Babylonian captivity of Jeremiah? And would you personalize it to your life right now? Because some of you today, I mean, you, you are where Felix was. You, you have walked away. You, you know, I was witnessing to a guy on an airplane. Imagine that. I love airplane evangelism. You know why? Because they ain't going nowhere, James. They're right there. They're right here with me. I was witnessing to this guy one time, and he's, he's all arrogant, you know, and puffed up and stuff. And I'm just, I'm just loving on him, just talking to him. I said, well, do you have a church? He goes, I have a church. I said, you do? I said, what, what's your church? He said, I'm a member of the largest church in America. I thought, really? And I was, you know, here I am processing, thinking, what church could he be thinking about? You know, and he goes, I am an inactive Catholic. <laughs> I said, dude, touche, you got me, I thought. An inactive Catholic. And I wonder how many inactive Baptists there are. How many inactive Methodists there are. I wonder if today some of you came to church, maybe in a commitment to God for a brand new year, and God just got all over you. He just reached out to you, and he, in the midst of a sermon on prophecy and on the name, a Hebrew name of God, the Spirit of God reached out, and he gathered you back. Wouldn't that be cool? Last thing I want to share with you is, is found in verses 5 and 6. And I, I purposefully omitted 5 and 6 until this moment because here is where God really just, he just pulls back the curtain of his life, and he just reveals to us one of his Hebrew names. And within the context, I want you to look at it. Verse 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Now, this is a future day. He says that I will raise to David. I will raise to David a branch. He shall be a king who will reign in righteousness. And, of course, guys, we know who this person is. Uh, it's, it's very obvious, very conspicuous, according to Scripture, that this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When you look, number one, it says, I will raise to David. There are many Jews today who are still looking for a promised Messiah from the lineage, the posterity of David. Of course, with compassion, with deep conviction, I look them in the eye and I say, you don't have to look any further because God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. He was born of the lineage of the tribe of Judah, of the offspring of David, according to 2 Samuel 7, according to Genesis 49.10 of Judah, and then 2 Samuel of David. Look, number two, he says, a branch of righteousness. Oh, I love this word study. Simak is the word branch. It means to sprout, to grow, to bear forth fruit. It means that the Messiah's kingdom will bud and grow and burgeon and expand and it will reach into the uttermost parts of the earth. And Jeremiah 
He has this word of prophecy right in the midst of talking about the unrighteous pastors and the righteous remnant. Right in the middle of that, he says, and God will raise up from David a branch. Ooh, look at this. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah has the same message about the promised Messiah. He says, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Look at, look at here it is. It's coming. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. Keep going. There should be another slide. Is it there yet? Because Isaiah 11 says, and the branch. Oh, there it is. I found it. There shall come forth. This is Isaiah 11, 1 and 2, guys. It was there earlier. Can you all bring it back? Can you find it? Isaiah 11 says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. See it? See it on the screen? A little Bible trivia for you just a moment. Who, who was Jesse? Anybody? That was the father of David. Same message that Jeremiah preached, that the coming Messiah, the promised one, would be from Jesse, from David. There it is. There's that word Simak again. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So here you have this trilogy of description that Jeremiah is given about the coming promised Messiah. Number one, he will come from David. And you check Jesus' genealogy. Check him from Joseph to Mary's side as well. And David is in his lineage. Number two, he says he will be a branch. And from his kingdom and will just sprout and grow. And the tentacles will be far reaching. But look at the third. And he will also be a king. Notice back in Jeremiah chapter 23, I love this. Jeremiah 23 verse 5 says, A king shall reign and prosper. Now watch this. And execute judgment and righteousness in all the earth. Now again, that day hasn't happened yet. When Jesus comes again, by the way, he is coming. Revelation chapter 19, the Bible says, Emblazoned upon his thigh has these words, King of kings and Lord of lords. There's this eye, his eyes are full of fire. He has this royalty about him, and he's coming. And the Bible says he is coming to reign, and he is going to judge. And the Bible says in Jeremiah that he will come in judgment and righteousness in all the earth. And look at verse 6, very interesting. And all of Judah and all of Israel will dwell safely. And by the way, that has not happened, has it? I'm going to fast forward with you just a little bit. I was studying this even again this morning, Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14. God has these 144,000 Jewish uh, missionaries. And by the way, they are not Jehovah Witnesses, okay? I promise you. They are converted Jewish evangelists. And they go out in the, all the earth and they are preaching and God saves a multitude. And, and in fact, Paul says in Romans 11, 26 and 27, there's coming a day, all Israel... Is going to be saved. They, and I believe that that's going to be literally true, that many Israelites are going to come to the one that they pierced. And you see the seeds of this already planted here in Jeremiah 23, 6, where it says, his, in his days Judah will be saved, Israel will dwell safely. And Paul says, all Israel will be saved. I want to let you know something. That hasn't happened yet. But that day's a coming. When the king, he's coming again. Oh, friends, listen, Jesus is coming. And when he comes, it's going to be an awesome day for the saints of God. And listen, if you don't know him, you better get to know him. And if you don't believe me, then at least believe God's word when he says that the king is coming and it's going to be amazing. Well, this is our text today. And I tell you, 
in verse 6, it culminates, it caps off with these words, and his name will also be called, here it is, the Lord who is our righteous king. Don't you just love studying the Word of God? I, I love studying the life of Jesus Christ. You, you just walk through his life and his ministry. He, he was so pure and so righteous. He was righteous in what he thought, righteous in what he said, righteous in what he did. And, and, and you study his life, and you just can't help but be drawn to him and, and, and just love him because of who he was and because of who he is. In fact, Jeremiah says... And the gospel writers back this up, that Jesus Christ is the righteous king. Ooh, I got something I want to read to y'all. I forgot to read this in the first service. They can forgive me, but I'm going to read this to y'all. Listen to this. This is a poem called Jehovah Jesus. Listen to these words. I once was a stranger to grace and to God. I knew not my danger and I felt not my load. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah Sidkenu, my Savior, must be. When free grace awoke me by light from on high, legal fears shook me. I trembled to die. No refuge, no safety in self could I see. Jehovah Sidkenu, my Savior, must be. My terrors all vanished before the sweet name. My guilty fears banished with boldness I came to, to drink at that fountain, life-giving and free, Jehovah Sidkenu is all things to me. That is such a beautiful depiction and a portrait of Jesus Christ, who is the literal fulfillment and embodiment of all these messianic prophecies, and they culminate, they consummate in the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, as the old hymn writer would say, what a Savior. Can I just ask you today, do you know him? Do you know Christ as your Savior, as this king who, who pardons, who forgives, who, look, look, look at me real quick, watch this, who gathers us back to himself? There are some here today that you are living in sin, you're living in unrighteousness, you're living a life that is, that is just the opposite of what God intends for you. And God wants to have this grand exchange, this divine moment where he takes your sinfulness and your, uh, the Bible would say you're clothed in your filthy rags. And mm, this is, God wants to strip you of that and he wants to put on you a robe of righteousness. And the Bible says that is possible because Jesus Christ, the righteous king, shed his blood. And because of his blood that is applied to our sinful lives, God cleanses us, he pardons us, and he raises us up to live different and holy lives. Some of you are here today and you've made that decision. Listen to me carefully. But somewhere along the course of life, you have departed from what you know is right. I heard a preacher describe it this way, and this has always stuck with me, and I say it often. There are many who walk with God now at a guilty distance. There is a distance, a great barrier between you and the king. And verse 3, it just keeps pulsating in my spiritual heart. I can just see God, God's arm just reaching out. And he desires to bring you back into intimacy and fellowship with him. Do, do you know that? Do, do you realize that couched right within this eschatological, apocalyptic message about the end times, it's like God is just speaking very silently and very quietly, and he's just bringing you back into intimacy and fellowship with him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray today in Jesus' name. If there's someone here today, and I know, Lord, there's probably more than one, probably dozens, 
And Father, never one time have they committed their lives to you. And I pray that today would be a great day of salvation for them. I also pray, Lord, for those that, hey, God, they are walking at this guilty distance. And, Lord, they have, like Felix in Cuba, like, like my friend on the airplane, Lord, the inactive Catholic, so many like that. And, Father, they have once tasted grace and they once knew you and walked with you, but through life and through job and through, Lord, just going through life, they, they have walked away. Lord, I pray that you would draw them back to you today. I pray, Lord, that even now during this invitation that, God, they would just sense that it would just be palpable to them. Lord, it would just be so obvious that, God, they have not strayed so far that you cannot reach them. That, God, you love them. And, God, you, you desire to draw them back into fellowship with you. And I just pray that you would do that even now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you as you stand to your feet. Would you stand with me? Brother Terry's going to lead us in some songs. We're going to sing. And, hey, let me tell you something, guys. We're going to have, we got some good shepherds up here, all right? We got some good godly counselors and pastors who would love to pray with you, to encourage you, to welcome you back into the fold. Even now, would you come? God bless you as we sing. <laughs>